Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. And welcome to the Active Worship Podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones, and I am here today in Psalm 74, continuing through Book 3 in the Book of Psalms, part of this Psalm project. It is a maskil of Asaf. Um, we've seen, we haven't seen this name Asaf very much. We did see it in 73. Um, we also saw it in, I believe, uh, 50, Psalm 50. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you 73 through 83 um, are all attributed to this man, Asaf. He was one of, um, he's the, that's the name of one of three men from the Hebrew Bible. Um, and so he is, um, these Psalms are attributed to him. Psalm 50, um, I think maybe 49 to, I can't quite remember. I know 50, uh, 73 through, um, 83 are all attributed to, um, Asaf. And so, um, I won't go into any more detail about that. I, in fact, I don't know that I will mention it very much going forward, uh, through 83, but just know that these Psalms are attributed to this man, Asaf. Um, Psalm 74 is a a very interesting psalm. I really like it. Um, It is a lament, and it is specifically a lament for the destruction of the temple that happened in 586 B.C. And it's comparable to the mournful poems of Lamentations. Uh, So often you see these, and that's what Lamentations is derived from, is is from that uh, part of Israel's history. And so this is a lament regarding the destruction of the temple. Let's take a look at it. Psalm 74. O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their own signs for signs. They were like those who swing axes in a forest of trees. And all its carved wood they broke down with hatchets and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. They said to themselves, we will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, and there is none among us who knows how long. How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand, Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. Yet God, my king, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea, monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. 
You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day, yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs, and a foolish people reviles your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beasts. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have regard for the covenant, for the dark places of the land are full of the habitations of violence. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all the day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up continually. Let's break this down a little bit, this lament here in Psalm 74. So uh, a familiar phrase beginning here in verse 1, O God, why do you cast us off? Israel's defeat at the hands of the Babylonians indicated that God had abandoned his chosen people and he would protect them no longer. The, the prophets, especially Ezekiel, describe God's abandonment of his temple and blames it on Israel's sin and unbelief. Read the prophets, you will see this. In fact, often Israel is referred to as a whore. Very graphic image there. Because they had been unfaithful to the God of the covenant. Their God who called them and chose them. And then he says, why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? The, the writer here appeals to this metaphor of an intimate relationship between God and his people in order to plead for restoration. If you remember Psalm 23, a psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd. You see this metaphor of, and even Jesus refers to his people as his sheep. Verse 2, remember your congregation. The psalmist here means more than just mentally recalling. He wants God to act on his ancient covenant and to save his people. When you see in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Psalms, and the psalmist says, remember, O God, or did you forget? No, God doesn't forget. Now, here's something that I hear quite often. That when God forgives someone's sin, those of us who are people of God, when he forgives our sin, people will say, well, he forgets about it. No, Scripture does not teach that God forgets about our sin. Scripture teaches that he remembers it no more. Uh, what's the difference? God does not forget. He is all-knowing. He sovereignly chooses not to remember our sin. There is a difference Okay, don't think that God has this limitation that he just forgets things. He is all-knowing, but he sovereignly chooses to remember it no more. And so this is a, a, a device used here, remember your congregation. The psalmist is not, say, not saying that God has forgotten, or even when they're questioning the psalms, God, have you forgotten? It's a rhetorical question. The obvious answer is no, he has not forgotten. What they are saying is, well, it sure seems like it by what we're facing here. It's a cry and a plea to God, an honest one at that, saying, God, this is how we feel. This is what is going on here. And certainly God knows that, but it's the psalmist crying out to God. Remember 
your people. Not that he ever forgot. But remember and continue remembering your people. So he's, a, he's asking for God to not just mentally recall, but to act and save them in their despair. He says, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion. You see this reference to Mount Zion. Again, the location of the temple and the place where God made his presence known in a special way. Verse 3, direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The psalmist asks God to survey what's going on and to react to the damage that the enemy has inflicted, Babylon, if you will, is inflicted on his possessions. And so when Nebuchadnezzar took Jerusalem in 586 BC, he ordered the sanctuary, the temple, to be demolished. And again, this is a lament because of... Um, this is a lament for the destruction of the temple. Verse 9. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet. And this is the worst fear of all. It's that God is silent in the face of their destruction. The psalm was likely written soon, probably pretty soon after this event occurred, since a number of prophets were active during the period of restoration. Verse 10. How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? The psalmist tries to persuade God by arguing that his own reputation is in danger. Asaph here, the man who wrote this, is distressed by God's apparent inactivity. God is being passive here, so it seems. Verse 13, you divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. So in the next few verses here, um, Asaph alludes to a popular concept of creation and applies it to the Lord. Okay, The defeat of the sea. Ezekiel uh, 28 verse 2, because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of the gods. In the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. This metaphor of the seas, I sit in the seat of the gods in the heart of the seas. This is a figure uh, where the psalmist is not endorsing popular myths, so certainly that exists around the areas, the outer areas of Israel, uh, other nations, they had other so-called gods and other myths and legends, monsters of the sea, if you will. Um, this is not endorsing these popular myths, but it's using them to say that God, uh, the God of Israel is the creator of all. And the, the gods in the Near East are nothing because they really don't even exist. And so the psalmist here is not saying that these monsters of the sea exist or these myths and these other so-called gods exist. He is declaring that God is the one true God. Verse 14, you crushed the heads of Leviathan. The psalmist borrows the language of a popular mythology. Again, as I mentioned, he's doing this in these few verses here. And he, he uses the language of this myth, mythology and the related texts discovered in the ancient city of Ugarit 
in Syria. Okay, that's a nearby um, land, the enemies of Israel, if you will. And this is an area that had other so-called gods and these myths, these monsters of the sea. And so he's using this language of mythology to show a point. And in these texts, Leviathan is a seven-headed sea monster that was defeated by Baal at the time of creation. Okay, now think about this. Now, if you're a Christian, you know Baal doesn't exist. Think of Elijah calling down fire um, from heaven, defeating the prophets of Baal, the god Baal. As Christians, we sit there and go, well, there's, there is no such god as Baal. That, that God doesn't even exist. That, that's a fake. They just made these idols to Baal. They built these idols themselves, and they're worshiping these idols, these literal statues of Baal. And, but the myth is that um, Baal defeated this seven-headed sea monster called Leviathan at the time of creation. Obviously, that's not in the Bible because it didn't really happen. Um, but the psalmist here is using this language um, as sort of a, a in a meta, metaphorical sense. He says, you crushed, you divided the sea by your might, you crushed the heads of Leviathan, you gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. God did not do that because there is no Leviathan. <laughs> This is language that the psalmist is using to prove a point that God, these myths, these legends don't even compare to the one true God, the God of Israel. And then he gets personal for all of Israel and references the covenant in verse 20. Have regard for the covenant. And the psalmist here appeals to God's covenant, knowing that his patience isn't exhausted despite the disobedience that led to all of the stuff that's happening in the northern kingdom in the 8th century. And um, all this disobedience, even though this has happened, the psalmist references the covenant. God made an eternal covenant with his people. And certainly there is discipline because they did disobey, but he still loves his people. And then we see this uh, this um, phrase and word that we see quite often in the Psalms, verse 22, arise, O God, arise. It's not like God's gone to sleep, okay? But uh, this is an earnest plea, an earnest cry for God to act on behalf of his people. As I mentioned in the previous episode, this psalm also has 11 stanzas. It is not as long as the previous psalm, and the stanzas are shorter, uh, but that also means they may seem a little more redundant. Again, I'm sorry, that's the length of this psalm. That is, It is what it is. You're going to start seeing some longer psalms, and you may see more stuff like this. I'm going to try to figure out some creative ways to make them less redundant. Uh, I, I do need to come up with a a gospel-style psalm again. I did one early on in this project, but I need to do another one. But um, uh, here is Psalm 74 set to music. Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones.
just a soft What does your anger burn Against the flock of your own field Recall your gathered ones You purchased long ago Remember them that you redeemed Your tribe and heritage On Zion's mountain where you live Oh, turn your steps to walk Where ruin is complete Your foes laid waste the holy place They shouted in they set their foreign emblems up It seemed as if an axe Had cut down forest trees Their axes broke Its fine carved wood The holy place they burned The place you made your name to dwell Now even to the crush them utterly so did their hearts declare they burned each god appointed place no prophet now no signs and none who knows how long how long oh god will fools insult and always scorn your do you hold back your hand? Reach forth with your right hand To end and to destroy Yet God, my King, brings forth of old Salvation in the earth The sea you parted by your strength You smote Leviathan and fed him to the beast You open springs You drive the streams Both day and night are yours You have ordained Both light and sun You gave the earth its bounds And made the heat and cold O oh Lord, recount insult, how fools have scorned your name. Your turtle dove, give not to beasts, your meek one's lives regard, and not always forget. Oh, bring to mind the covenant, see how the land grows dark. Filled with the dance of violence Let not the meek be shamed But let them praise your name Arise, O God, take up your cause Recall the scorn of fools Recall your adversaries' cries The raging noise of 
which rises endlessly.